Hey, I'm Everett. I'm Stan. And this is Six Fifths. Again, for the sixth time. Fifth fifth time. No, I, I don't know what episode we're Numbers on. are too hard. Yes. Let's just say that is an episode, and, you know, we're coming live to you from a small apartment. Yes. Yes, we are. But anyway, we're going to talk today again about why Everett is sleepy. Like, really sleepy. I'm not that tired. I've I've been worse. We're going to be talking about work-life balance here at MIT. In a recent episode, we spoke about um, a certain article that somebody wrote. Uh, I don't remember his name. Do you remember his name? Eh, we'll include it like I in can, some notes. I, I, can, I can find it real fast. Okay. Essentially, the basis of this article was contemplating the idea that MIT might actually just be, you know, too difficult, you know, in some sort of abstract sense. That it could stand to be less difficult. His name was Michael. Michael C. 2016. Course 2. Working at Apple. Yes. In the end, he concluded that, you know, it was not, in fact, too hard. And, you know, we're going to remain agnostic on that. I think it's instructive for us to have a little conversation about, like, what what form exactly that tends to take at MIT. Right. Um, Stan is more of a casualty than I am of this. So I think that uh, he has, like, an interesting, like anecdote i suppose yeah so we're having to talk about um, this thing that actually wrote a blog post an admissions blog post i was an admissions blogger for the engineering leadership program i was in for a little bit we can talk why i didn't really want to blog anymore after a certain point yes i remember because um (laughs) yeah i remember you had a couple of uh entries and then you sort of disappeared i just wondered what happened with that I guess I could just I could just mention it now. Basically, I did not feel that motivated to contribute to the program in that way because of the way the program treated me, which we could go into in depth about. But I think I'll just leave hmm. leave it at that. And so I became kind of unmotivated and a little too self aware in a way to write a blog post because I didn't feel like I could say anything that was super lauding about the program other than the stuff I had already said. I think the first year of that program is really good. I think the second year is really bad if you don't have people around you that like you. And I don't think that my crop of people really inc- tried to include me that much in stuff, or if they did, it was very superficial and all that. But the point is that this this story is a little less of an is of an um of a central version of that because I did leave some stuff out of that story. Um, if you want to look, go look for it. It's called Mirrors in the Emissions Blogs. Um, I'm, I was a guest blogger, so oh, you can better read look it. right now. Yeah, so <laughs> you, you can you, you can read that. Um, it's mostly about self reflection um, after the terrible semester I had. Like the big thing was ask myself like what went well, what went really bad, why did the, those things go bad, and how can I get back on the horse per se and make things better in the future. But this really came about as a result of the fact that I started off that semester within a week feeling like everything was just asking to fall apart. So this was for context. I had a year up. I was taking six classes or at least five and a half. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I was here for that, wasn't I? Yeah, you were here. Yes. My year up was really demanding. One of my classes was Japanese five which was a no very joke. non-trivial class, contrary to what I had previously put effort into Japanese before. And I was also in music. I was in two different ensembles. I had just re-won an Emerson scholarship, so I was taking private lessons again. And yeah, I did not have a lot of time to do anything, mostly because of this Europe. 
but the year off actually went really well, and that's not really why everything fell apart. Really what happened was that first week school happened, and it was pretty busy, um, as normal. And then my year off advisor asked me if I wanted to do a new experiment. And so, of course, I say yes. And then I'm just saying, I think in the back of my head that I'm feeling really stressed out right now, but it's September, like, 10th. And this keeps going, and I commit to more things. I um, started doing more stuff for the newspaper. Stuff in classes started piling up. And then I was dating this girl at the time, and she broke up with me. And I pretty much lost it at that point not to say that i wasn't going to lose it at some at some point this was just (laughs) this was the straw that broke the camel's back but the camel was already standing on a very very teetery pile of jenga blocks (laughs) i I see yeah very mixed metaphor Um. yeah so so yeah was not doing so hot at all and essentially what had happened was that i had started to work a lot work a lot work a lot and keep on um keep on adding things onto that and i was losing sleep i was not doing so hot in my social interactions this is also i also attributed this to why um some people that i lived with don't really think that fondly of me when they think of me then because i was very absent and i was not i was not very engaged in their social sphere because i was always just out doing things uh, you're either out or in your room doing a whole bunch of work being rather unavailable yeah this is generally what i remember i had to put in work to sort of like talk to you if i ever did yeah exactly um, it was really hard semester and that was just the beginning of the semester but things things got better funny story the experiment that my grad student actually had us planned and that was going to take a lot of time rpi ended up ruining it rpi like our pi our principal oh, investigator oh, okay ended i was up thinking what does <laughs> What does RPI have to do with anything? Yeah. The Polytechnic Institute. Yeah, no. Very no. Our principal investigator ended up ruining the experiment. That was a very interesting conversation. And it got a little better. I tried really, really hard in Japanese. I ended up dropping a class, and I passed Japanese, miraculously. You did pass. I remember this. Yes. I did pass. I'm not sure if I should have passed, but I did <laughs> pass. <laughs> yeah. See, MIT, people are willing to, like, you know, help you out mm-hmm. with classes. If you're like, please help me, my life is falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's legitimately how I felt. Like, actually, I went to student support services and told them that I felt like my life was falling apart. And I spent a lot of time talking to my parents, um, ended up spending time talking to some of my friends also that didn't abandon me when I abandoned them. And it got better. But I think what I took out of that was that spending that much time doing work is very unhealthy and you should learn to say no to things. Because if you don't learn to say no to things, you will end up doing way too much work. Which really the point is, how do you strike a balance between that? I think I heard when I came to our campus preview weekend before I decided to come here as a freshman that a lot of upperclassmen will say, like, you can do all your work, you can have friends, or you can get enough sleep. Pick two. And I don't feel like you should need to. I was talking to a friend a week ago, and she was even saying that, oh, well, you know, I think that that she thought it was kind of true because you could feasibly do really well in one thing. Like, you do really well at your job, and you don't necessarily need friends if you're doing really well at your job, and you're getting somewhat of a decent amount of sleep. Right? That was her view on things. Granted, Mm -hmm. she's not as social as I am, but 
still, I mean, I think that has some merit to it. Yeah, what do you think about that? <laughs> I don't know. It's difficult because you're going to have different goals for what, what it is that you want to do, right? I think that there are times when, for an extended period of time, so last semester was kind of difficult for me because there was a very sudden thing that happened in the middle of the semester that caused me to basically spend an entire week not doing any work um, mm-hmm. and doing something else that needed to be done. And this was also the week that all of my papers were due. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my f- entire first set of papers were due. So my whole like life schedule was incredibly destabilized for about a whole like month trying to catch up the things. But ultimately, it was it was worth it because it was a thing I had to do. And it was something I had committed to. And things turned out all right ish right but i had to make considerable sacrifices in order to make that happen and thing is that up to it's really less about like um literally not being able to do the things that you want to do and more that you can get very like you know caught up in in tunnel vision about um you know you want this thing to happen and if you don't uh do like a good amount of reflection on whether or not that actually is a good idea right right Mm -hmm. like then you can end up sacrificing a lot of things that, like, in retrospect, were, like, really stupid to yeah. sacrifice. Though Especially, you yeah. can get caught up in sunk costs, too. Oh, you're like, oh, yeah. This is, like, I had somewhat of a problem with this, but I know so many people who had this problem so much worse, where you're already so far into it that you can't stop now, even though you hate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And sometimes you literally can't stop because, yes. you know, sometimes you're like, damn, I really should have dropped, like, two classes the week after drop date. Right. <laughs> there's nothing you can do at exactly. that point. But it, it's good to, uh, if you have any doubts at all about what, you know, you're sort of doing or what you're sort of giving up to accomplish, like, your goals at the moment, I think, uh, especially if you go to a demanding place like MIT or really any college that, like, gives you a significant challenge, you're probably giving up some stuff in order to make other things happen. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, you know, you could be giving up classes for a social life or vice versa or something like that. Um, it's worth thinking about it every once in a while to really seriously think, is this really where I want to be going? You have to sort of watch that that doesn't turn into obsessive rumination 24-7. Yeah. But... I think there's a healthy amount of self-awareness you can have. And I just based on what you're saying, I'm actually wondering if you can really fault people for not being too self-aware in the it's moments. Hard. Yeah. It's very difficult, especially when you are, you know, sleep-deprived right. and very stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, when other people people are are generally unwilling to share in great detail how they're getting screwed, yeah. Right? Except like in like the most like self-aggrandizing way, you know. Like, yeah, oh, I have so many P sets. Uh uh-huh. Ooh, I had to drop this class, but now I only have six classes this semester or something like that. Uh-huh. Right. It's sort of hard to get a feeling that like, you know, I'm doing something that's a little more than what I usually do, which isn't like, you know, too out there, mm-hmm. which like, you know, happens to a lot of people and I can't do it. Right. Like I have to drop yeah. this thing or that thing. It's hard to sometimes feel like a valid thing to do. That isn't some, like, display of weakness or something. Yeah. I find it interesting that you phrase that as a display of weakness because I feel like that's kind of what it's interpreted as a little bit here, that if you can't do things, then then something is up because everybody is doing things. But I think in general, people are actually doing less things than you think they are. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is a misconception. Um, Yeah. 
and then MIT in general like very much focuses on doing work. It, this this is kind of the question of like why is this a thing here? Like why is this a problem here? When I mean I think it's a problem in in most college situations. Possibly, I think that people who are really serious about doing their work in college a lot of colleges have the opposite problem right where mm-hmm. people are not doing enough work yes right and so it's like well why is that a thing right and so why is that a thing here that um the people here are so focused on doing work and not so much on being social and i think part of that is that especially when i was a freshman i think that the predominant feel was that you were going to get your social out of doing work so you would mm. buy peace setting with people, you would meet friends, and you would supposedly make these connections and hang out outside of class and stuff like that. And I know some people did. It, I, it depends yeah. on the size of your major right. um, and the particular course you take through it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know course six can end up like being really lonely right. like near the end because like there's it branches out a lot mm-hmm. like at the end point. Um, and so people can be taking like classes that their friends are not taking, especially if you take you know the six one route right. of things, mm-hmm. um, which is just strictly electrical engineering. Yeah. Then, yeah, like that's not so popular right now at MIT. Mm-hmm. But I guess that just harkens to the point that class is not sufficient to bind people in general. Like you need to have some sort of commonality between yourselves. It's not just like a class per se believe me sharing a class is not enough because people do not like to just talk to you in class or about class all the time it's sort of like uh i mean just in class you know you you walk in and you're like hey how you doing they're like oh my god someone's talking to me (laughs) they're like hi uh uh," they just like pull out their smartphone and start pretending like they're playing angry birds or something Mm -hmm. you know when you're in a building or, you know, pretend they're checking their email when you're in a building with no internet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> They're actually just reading their old emails over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets better in any given class, like, over, over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially in, like, larger classes, it's, 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 you, you're just probably not going to make friends unless you go out on a lark. Right. And you really just randomly ask somebody early in the class, like, hey, you want a piece set together? Right. Like, that's pretty much the only way you can do it. I mean, this is definitely so, a thing that people do. I've had people do this to me before. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is exactly the, the sort of perception you're talking about, right? That, like, mm-hmm. it's through doing the work together, you'll make your social group. Yeah. I mean, but honestly, I feel weird when I realize that the only thing I talk to any given person about is class. Yes. Like, I, I like to think of myself as more than just a student. I'm not a student anymore, but I can even see this among the people that I work with. Some of them I've never heard talk about anything that's not science, and I find that a little weird. There was even one of our postdocs said um, a few weeks ago, we were sitting around eating cake because it was another postdoc's birthday, and the grad students and a couple of the postdocs were sitting around talking about science. And then this one postdoc is like, no, I don't want to talk about science. I am more, I am more than that. And he was very adamant about this. Like, he looked he looked mildly distressed that he couldn't get away from I that see. all day. And I think that, like, that... I, that... I imagine that it must be, like, pretty pretty claustrophobic after a while yeah right because like i mean if he's a postdoc he's been doing this in very concentrated amounts for what like maybe six seven years at this point yeah yeah kind of a thing you want to get away from 
Right. Um, every every once in a while, and I think that's some that's something that's kind of lost on people here a little bit. That yeah. you are not all just your work, and that you can talk about other interests besides that. And I think I had a rough time with that my freshman year because my high school friends were all people that I met doing an activity. It wasn't people I met in class. Like I met them in doing the activity, and then we happened to all be in the same classes because when you're in honors track you take classes with the same people for four years in high school and that's a thing but i was never as good of friends with people that i didn't do this extracurricular activity with um, which was marching band Mm. than i was with with the people that i met doing that i don't agree that doing work is a substitute for having friends and (laughs) i I think very few people actually believe this Right. I um, think more people, well, actually, no. I actually mildly agree with that, but I think that depending on the social circle that you go through, it's kind you of a convenient fiction think, that people will yeah. tell themselves. I think that it's kind of a hard thing to, like, legitimately seriously believe rather than, like, you know, saying you hope really bad it's true. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of like, you know, the whole, like, you know, screw it. You know, I'll, I'll make my own thing with blackjack, you know, and casinos and stuff. Right. Yeah, there is just this general sense at MIT that, you know, the workload is too much, right? Mm-hmm. And it has been like this for a good while. I couldn't give you a number. Like, I have no idea. But um, it seems like a longstanding thing. Certainly nobody I've met who's been at MIT in the last, like, 10 years seems to deny that this is a widespread, like, you know, awareness um, so, you know, the, the natural question to ask is like, well, is MIT actually doing anything about this? Well, part of, I think the question that comes before that is, is the workload actually too much, which is something that, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a really like subjective question, right? It is. It's, uh, it's something that's going to depend a lot on like where you come from, mm-hmm. uh, what sort of things you're okay with tolerating, right? Like a lot of the things that we just discussed here. And this is also kind of what um, Michael was trying to get at in the blog post that he wrote recently, was that for some people, it isn't too much work, but you leave out the fact that for some people, it is too much work. Right. right. Yeah. And also, what we mentioned before was like, you know, should MIT cater those people at all? Yes. I think they should, because I don't think that you get a lot out of... Like, you need to have that diversity of opinion that you get from not having people that are as strong in certain areas, and you need to still bring them all together in order to make, like, you know, get the most out of this type of environment, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, do think that that, I do think that that's a thing. And now, especially in the wake of um, two suicides that happened not that long ago, mm-hmm. there's been a couple of things floating around that I've seen because I'm still on the dorm list of, like, there's some stuff about gray transparency um, now because people have always been iffy about that and where their grade stands and they're mm. stressful to be compared to other people um, in a grade. And I, I think I might have made that sound sarcastic, but I'm really not. <laughs> like, um, like it, it, it is incredibly stressful it to... Can, it can be <laughs> stressful yes yeah, quite uh-huh. um mm-hmm. you know it's sort of like yeah i did good on that exam you know and then you find out that everyone else did even better <laughs> just like well shit and then that means your grade is inherently lower unless everybody did super super well and that doesn't happen that often and uh, right that's all that's a whole other conversation we could have about like what grades mean why you should or shouldn't care about certain things when you just need to learn the material Yes. all that stuff um but that but that added trust about grades like contributes to your workload because if you perceive that if if the class is such that 
people are going to be more tightly clustered around an average than you try harder in that class to get above if you're like if you're the type of person who values having the higher grades so if you're someone who's looking to go to grad school med school or just like the type of person who is a general overachiever and likes to be like that i mean not the people in general like settle for mediocrity but some people try extra hard to to get that because it is is something that means something to them that obviously contributes to the amount of work you put into a class so if you multiply that times four and you're trying super super hard in four classes but since you're trying super super hard you're probably not just taking four classes and that also adds to what's going on so there's been talks that the administration has been having about like um you know when classes post how many units they are is that an actual ah, true yes. measure this is uh, how a thing of great infamy so the, yeah. the way that the units work in mit's courses are a little different than the way that the units are structured in uh cla- like credit hours yeah. Um, they, they don't quite work that way at MIT. Instead, the measure of credits or units that a class is worth is the expected number of hours that you will spend working week. Um, every week in that class. Yeah. So most classes, the standard is, is 12. Yes. Um, the standard expectation is 12. The minimum you can take is three classes of, of 12, so 36 units. Mm-hmm. And most people will take at least four, yes. so 48 um, which allows you like room to drop one class, like yeah. if things go sour. Mm-hmm. Five is like not super uncommon. Right. Six is not unheard of. Seven is getting up there, and I've heard of a couple people who take eight. Don't why I don't get it. To illustrate that point of, and it also relates to work life balance. There was an old EIC of tech, our newspaper. EIC is editor in chief. He wrote a piece in the campus life section. Uh, I think the year before I entered, so like in 2009, mm-hmm. I think, um, as he was about to graduate, and he made, he told the story about how he finished course six, EECS. He finished that in a year and a half because he took what? like eight plus classes a semester. Isn't and it was. Course, so ECS is like 14, 15 classes. Yes. Or it's one of the biggest majors yes. at MIT. It's yes. Very... We are not joking. <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah. He wrote this story and he was like, you know, I was a badass. Like I was, hit, I was going hard in the paint and hitting it. So that way I could be super awesome. And he's like an MD PhD student now. And, oh um, God. so he was like super into it. And at the end of it, he was like, you know, all of that was so good. And I felt awesome, but I lost the love of my life. Well, yeah. damn. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> because, you know, you expect something like, you know, but I would never do it again or something like that. No, it's like, oh, it was great, except, you know, true love. Uh, gone. It was great, except it was terrible. Was the takeaway from that. Yeah. So taking a lot of classes is something people do, but often yeah. at great sacrifice to things like that. Back to the issue of the units. Uh, there are like classes with non-standard units. There's uh, a bu- there's a good number of classes that are sort of like half classes yeah. that are six units instead right. of twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a number of classes that are more than that. I think the the popular number above twelve is thirty. Um, there's there's that, like a there's, few thirty unit classes. There's yeah, there's a couple thirty unit classes. Usually lab, very substantial lab classes. The course seven, the biology labs, like the project lab class that you have to take if you're a pure biology major is yes. thirty units. Um, and the uh, the physics labs, aren't those also thirty units? How many units are they? Eighteen. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I hear they should be thirty, but. <laughs> 
yeah, I think um, it's not it's not uncommon for a major to, for a major, especially for the lab class in that to be eighteen units. Actually, what um, material science does is they have to get a kind of around the unit thing. They have three classes that are essentially one class, but it's marked as three different classes. But you only go to one of these classes like once every two weeks, right, or something like that, and it causes it lets you basically take like a suite of things like in the first three semesters that you do it Uh, and it ends up i i didn't know that many material science majors until my sophomore and junior year actually Mm -hmm. like i don't I don't really have any good friends that are my year in material science, um, so I didn't I didn't understand what it was per se in terms of course load, but I didn't really care because I wasn't that into that. Um, and then I got some good friends that were doing it, and they were just like, "Oh my god, this is terrible." Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the the sort of grand champion is uh, the chemical chemical engineering, which has several classes that are six units that are full classes and more. Yes. Um, that nonetheless you are expected to take many of at the same time because mm-hmm. there are absolute limits on how many units uh, a major can be. Right. And if these classes were not marked down, then like course course 10 chemical engineering, chemical engineering would go over. Mm-hmm. So instead they just lie about the number of hours that the classes take. The same thing happens in bioengineering. There's a, um, there's a cl- one class specifically. The first project is to build your own microscope. So that takes a lot of time. And this class generally... Which I class is that? 2309. Oh, ooh. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure that I spent at least eight hours a week in the lab. And there were also homeworks and PSET. Well, PSET homeworks and um, tests. And, and oral know, presentations. Lecture. And lecture. Yeah, you, had to, you went to lecture too if you wanted to actually learn because you had to go to the two lectures on optics in order to build a microscope from that two lectures is not a lot of yeah, information that's, to that's go on a lot of information, yeah man. so there's a lot Good of um, guessing in lab and asking the instructors to double check your stuff and they're only there for a limited amount of time you can only go during certain hours and yeah so it's a it's pretty rough that's a very very forgiving way of putting it but there's generally a good amount of infamy yeah. centered around the uh, the engineering majors at MIT um, because you either have that sort of chicanery going on with mm-hmm. messing around with the credits, having death lab classes. The ECS is not so bad with that, but then it requires a whole a ton of classes to get the major, which makes it very difficult for people to major in something else while also being ECS. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like kind of inflexible about like the intro classes. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of working and like wheedling to get to like get out of the first class, right. the first intro class, which of course results in a lot of people who come to MIT and they already know how to do everything in that class. Right. And they just like effortlessly destroy the class. Mm-hmm. And if you're not one of those people, it's extremely like confidence destroying to be around the people who know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, because they just know what they're doing so clearly. But, yeah, like, most of the engineering majors at MIT have, have this kind of thing going on. It's, it's, it's a thing with engineering in general. Nobody seems to be able to quite decide whether it's because engineering is inherently hard 
or because people in engineering don't really know how to teach that stuff yet Mm -hmm. or some combination who knows well i think this is kind of harkens to this is why that old joke exists where like i'm not married to my wife i'm married to engineering because i spend too much time on it or you know i think there was one picture in particular where it's like what did i do this summer it's like i went to like beaches it's like three people with tans it's like engineering it's like pill white dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah so also to bring it back to the original point is that having classes like that certainly does not encourage you to do anything except work on them because otherwise how are you gonna stack up how are you gonna get out of there right yeah 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 it's quite concerning i mean so it's really interesting because uh i sort of exist on the other half of the plane yeah right as a humanities major a double humanities major in fact (laughs) is a very rare breed but we do exist and I'll say that, like, it's probably maybe the opposite problem in that the classes are not really challenging enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really, you don't really get put through your paces in the same way that um, I am aware other humanities classes in other places are. And, you know, part of this is because uh, there aren't that many of us, mm-hmm. right? So, like, even when you're taking, like, the fairly high-level classes, it's kind of unlikely that the majority of people in the class that you're in are going to be in your major. Right. So a lot of them are probably going to be like, I really don't give a shit about this class. Uh-huh. Or this class is not a high priority for me. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, you were to take a class like that, and they were like, okay, so, like, this class centers on three books. You need to read the three books. Mm-hmm. You need to buy the three books. People will be like, I'm going to drop this class. Right. And I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Right. So instead, you give smaller papers and then you sort of have to walk people through the readings uh-huh. because you know that at any given point in time, half the class didn't do the reading. Mm-hmm. Right. So part of this, I think, is a little bit because people at MIT, as you just said, they don't normally, most people don't major in humanities, they don't spend a ton of time on doing them, except for the required classes. Um, then it's part of a thing to keep their classes engaging. Otherwise, they would lose their audience. And yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work that well anyway. It doesn't work that well. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, it's just an issue where uh, people at MIT are somewhat quite rightly not very confident about their writing. Mm hmm. That sounds a little mean, but mm. um, <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, you, you don't have to try that hard to write well <laughs> here. People don't feel confident about their writing. Like they usually associate very bad feelings with it. Like it, it's a very real thing for people to believe about themselves. You know, like I'm not a writing person, or mm-hmm. you know, I don't need to be able to write to be a good engineer or or scientist. That's like the most unbelievable one that you could possibly believe but like Mm -hmm. there are people who say that but like you know there's just like a lot of people who are very okay with like sort of like putting a split there and saying i'm not a writing person i'm a math person right Mm -hmm. um so they're just not going to put the time in to take say like writing an essay seriously so even if they could write an essay well right you'll Mm -hmm. never know because they'll write everything at the last minute yeah and never proofread yeah this adds the perception that if you're taking a humanities class um then that is your easy class because people tend not to put that much effort into the writing they don't tend to put a lot of effort into the readings um and And thus there is a lot of effort on the instructors to grade very nicely right I have to tell you, I can, like, detect at times palpable frustration with this Mm -hmm. from instructors. And sometimes they are pretty upfront with it, especially in the beginning of a semester. Yeah. You know, they'll sort of say, like, these essays were all terrible, but I gave you decent grades anyway because Uh it was the first essay 
and I understand that you don't always take these classes seriously, uh-huh. but I swear to God, if you turn in essays like this again, I'm going to give you a bunch of Fs. <laughs> like, <laughs> this has happened more than once. Yeah. Like, in um, the sort of, like, lower-level classes I've taken. Uh-huh. It works, right? Yeah. So, like, clearly it's not an issue of, like, people just straight up being lazy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and clearly it's not an issue of, like, people are literally unable to write. Right. It's just that people don't take it so seriously here. Right. So in some humanities classes, this does you a massive disservice. Like, if you are taking a language class. Yes. Like I was. Yeah. Yeah, so I think more of that came from the fact that I was coasting through Japanese 2 through 4 because I took it in high school. Hmm. And but they're, they're not yeah. very difficult. They're, they they weren't, and they were even less difficult for me because I had already <laughs> seen half the stuff before. Yes. Um, so, so it wasn't that bad. And then Japanese 5 came around and then it was like, yeah, you were going to legitimately learn how to read. It was mostly the reading at a pace that is acceptable to like read a passage during a test and then answer questions on it mm. while picking up like we had like a hundred sub vocab words a week and writing wow, there was quite incredible and there was an essay portion to every every other homework wow yeah that stuff takes time and if you are the part of if you subscribe to the view that um mit kind of pushes you into especially if you are an engineering major that you know your humanities classes should be your light and easy classes that make you that take your mind off of doing all this science and make you feel good about you know feel good about learning about history um or some sort of culture thing history, or, literature or even or pick something. up another language on the side because that's easy if you're already smart enough to do this engineering thing and then this just slaps you in the face uh, you know so yeah. the impression goes right right um and you know it it gives me a little bit because uh i you know entertain serious thoughts of going to graduate school mm-hmm. probably in the humanities and so it means like my classes aren't really good enough um mm-hmm. in the sense that we don't really do enough exploration of like reading mm-hmm. on its own so i have to do a lot of like you know independent stuff and it eats into a lot of my time mm-hmm. uh i suppose it's just like marginally unfortunate choice on my part to decide to have gone to MIT Uh, but it's not like the professors are bad in fact the professors and the like the quality of the instruction is actually good Mm -hmm. I don't have any complaints about that right uh I don't think anybody actually has any complaints about that Mm -hmm. I know plenty of people who are actually like you know quite into the humanities here at MIT I mean they exist there's a number of them Mm -hmm. they aren't a majority certainly um and there's not really any complaint about the instructors or uh-huh. like, you know, the classes or, you know, their enthusiasm or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, you're sort of chained by, you know, what you can expect of your students at large. Right. And, you know, that's that's not entirely a bad thing. I mean, MIT is MIT. You know this right. coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a thing that is a little frustrating. So it's sort of interesting that it lies on the opposite side, right, of, yeah. of the engineering things where the level of rigor is not quite enough. Um, mm-hmm. The classes are not quite enough to get you there by themselves if yeah. you're actually interested in like advanced study. Uh huh. So we have been talking about the work side of work life balance, and like you know, part of the part of the work friend sleep thing. We talked about sleep in a couple of different contexts already in previous episodes. So you should go listen to those if you want to hear us talk about sleep. I want to actually talk, um, it's not an outline, but... Um, Are we going to be talking about friends? We're going to be talking about friends because... Oh, this should be fast because, you know, we don't have any because it's MIT. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that... Um, but here's another uncomfortable question. What do you do with your spare time if you're not doing work? Right? I mean... Yeah. Like, so, actually... <laughs> 
Uh, a lot of people at MIT have perfected the art of doing lots of things by yourself. Yes. Video games are a more popular pastime than average, mm-hmm. I think, precisely because like they can be played alone or they can be played with other people on yeah. the internet. And it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a thing that like, you know, a lot of people just like play video games when they're not doing work. Yeah. And like, that's a very like alone thing to do. Mm-hmm. But there are people that, who who just don't do anything but do the work. It seems yeah. sometimes, mm-hmm. and when they don't have work to do, they're just kind of like, I don't know what to do. They sleep a lot. Yeah, they sleep. <laughs> a lot. That's actually you know what happens there. Yeah, I have more than one friend actually who has told me that I don't have work, so I will sleep for twelve to sixteen hours. How can <laughs> you even sleep for twelve to sixteen hours? I don't know. My God. But the the point here <laughs> is that um, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense that like people end up depressed a lot because like when you imagine that like work is the only lively thing you have to do in your life, and then after that you don't really have much in the way of friends, mm-hmm. and that is sort of the reality of the situation for like an uncomfortably high number of people at MIT. I mean, I don't want people get the wrong impression well, this is not like the majority of people. well okay yeah i like, will i will <laughs> say that like i think it's very easy to and this is also equally stressful if you're not in these one of these groups but i think it's very easy to see that people have friends yes right especially in dorms um it, or in living groups like frat more so in frats than sororities though i know that a bunch of sorority sisters do hang out like all all together but their pledge classes are bigger so it's less of a thing mm. but like you know in fraternities like you know where a pledge class is like 10 or so people it'll be pretty often for you know go hang out with your bros type mm-hmm. of thing and um yeah it's very easy to see that people have friends which can make you feel like an alien if you're not a part of that group or you feel pressured into being a part of the dominant friend group in your area because otherwise you don't have a lot in terms of friends because you know especially if you're not involved with any extracurriculars then you do your work and you go home right and if your friends aren't where your home is then then what what do you do yeah and I, i mean i think the thing is ultimately the thing is that whether you if you have friends like sometimes your schedule just like the way things are happening mm-hmm. just like won't match with your friends a lot because yeah. everybody's very busy right but often like in you know sort of irregular kind of like there's a certain word i'm looking for but i can't find it but it begins with ear so insert something there sort of ways that don't match together and so mm-hmm. like you can be very feeling very lonely yeah and you can see your usual friend group hanging out and you know having fun and you can be like god damn my life is really sad and I'm, I feel terrible, right? Well, I feel and, like, yeah, I feel like you can um, get over this hump somewhat by deliberately making it a point to spend time with your friends. I mean, but yeah. sometimes you can't. Right? Sometimes you can't. And, yeah. And this is this is what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. Like, sometimes it's just not possible mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of the rest of your health, mm-hmm. right? Or for the sake of your work. Right. And, you know, sometimes you have to give up friends to have sleep. This is a thing. Yeah. Um, It can suck sometimes. And I I think this is just, like, a reality of, like, being a person. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think that's kind of a fact of life, though. I mean, sometimes you are going to end up in a situation where you can't go out to something, but you would really like to because you need to sleep. Or if you go out and you do, you're going to regret it because you did not 
sleep, do this other thing. And or, so, you know, you yeah. you drank a lot and didn't sleep, so then you right. had a massive hangover. Yeah, so like there's shit. always checks and balances so. to doing things. My new favorite phrase of the, um, of the last year is, you got to get back on that horse after you fall off of it because the horse is going to kick you off of it. But like, what if you're playing often. what if you're playing yeah. net hack and you are level 1 and you fall off the horse and die? You 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 won't die. You you're better you're better than that. You are always better than that. I see. You're not starting a level you're not starting a level 1 here. You're already like if you're listening to this, you are a functional human being probably somewhere, you know, in their early 20s late teens something like that so you have you have I mean, some sort of agency and some you can might argue that those two statements you know what? are just like logically inconsistent functional Wait, human being in late, tw- late <laughs> teens early 20s <laughs> that the two things do not compute when put together um but you're learning to get there yeah you're right? learning you're learning you're learning to be functional but in, in an environment that can make it quite difficult sometimes yeah and can resist your endeavors to do this so it's okay sometimes to fail, yeah, right? But it's important to not look at things as sort of like, uh, it's important to not be looking for disasters, right? Right, Because like uh, a lot of people will overreact to like a single like issue of like, mm-hmm. oh, I had a bunch of trouble and like did an all-nighter, right? and then just spirals into a bunch of all-nighters, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, they start losing the thread of like, you know, routine every day. Yeah. And it's very important that you like manage this. Right. That there be routine um and this can be difficult depending on like your living circumstances like i'm living with a roommate mm-hmm. for the first time uh in retrospect a terrible decision um he goes to bed really really late and it causes me to also have really terrible sleeping schedule because there's like no real way that like our schedules like get in sync such that like we can kind of be very erratic with respect to one another whereas like i feel like there's a really good way that, like, you know, you can probably, like, sync those things up if you're roommates with somebody right. to, like, you know, sort of, like, keep each other in check. Depending on how much you interact with your roommates. Sure. And if that's necessary. Like, um, your roommate situation is closer together than mine is. Mine basically amounts to I try not to be the person who's cooking at 2 a.m. because I, mean, I get back super late. Yeah. Yeah, not really roommates, uh, right? So much as you're, like, flatmates or something like yeah. that, right? Like, you know, you, like, uh, share apartments, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, we literally share rooms, yeah, you so there's, share the same there's a bit of a difference there. Uh-huh. But I, I think that ultimately, though, it's, like, good advice. Like, if you fail a little bit, then dust yourself off and, you know, keep on walking. Yeah. Or do what you can to keep on walking. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll give... I'll give it. I'll give an example because I can. This happened like on Sunday. Yeah. So Sunday I woke up and I needed to go to lab, and um, yeah, you're going to lab on a weekend, whatever. I work sometimes on the weekend, but I oh, I got I got up in the morning, and uh, you know some of my clothes have been getting holes in them, so I I need to take care of that. So I went clothes shopping. I went with one of my friends, and so because I went with um her, it took me like two extra hours, and that's okay because that happens. And then got food and some of my other friends which are sitting right here asked me to get dinner with them and so i went out to get dinner with them and then i went to lab after that and i stayed up kind of late and i got some sleep before going to work the next day at like 9 a.m i could easily have sat around and felt bad about that and had a really crappy day on monday but nah i'm just like Get right back on it, dust it off, keep on going. Monday was actually a pretty good day. 
I also think that you have to be careful about how you scope things when evaluating yourself and when um, hopefully you don't judge others too much, but mostly in the scope of evaluating yourself and the things that you do, because if you look at it just in the objective view of you were in lab until 2 a.m., therefore you were working too much, that's not really a fair assessment of what actually went on that day because I feel like I had a very balanced day. I just decided to make it longer and go to bed later. And that was, that was a conscious decision that I made. Honestly, I could have gotten up earlier that morning and gone to lab if it was really that urgent for me, but I did it. I decided to go later because I wanted to um, stretch it out and have that time to spend on that day. That's just something that I did. And so just being aware of the decisions that you're making and being able to accept the fact that you made that decision is really important because you do what you do for a reason, right? I, I think that the thing to get at here, because I, I think that we've uh, sort of gotten at most of what can be gotten at here, is that here the idea of like a balance, any sort of balance that's consistent between uh, your work and your life it's kind of precarious. It's very easy for it to tip very far in one direction, and then you're suddenly screwed right. in one area, and you did not realize it until it was far too late. And it's very easy to do this. Like It can happen in the space of a weekend. It can happen in the space of a spring break. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's just important to remember that like failure just happens to everybody. And at MIT, it's especially just like very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you return to the question of whether MIT is too hard, I think the thing to remember is that this is a thing that we were like we were like saying before, and it's some of a, of a platitude. It is as hard as you allow it to be for yourself up to a certain point, and there's always ways to get around the big difficulties, and you have only to find them. That said, sometimes it sucks, yeah. And there's not anything you can do to make mm-hmm. it, you know, not suck. You can just make it so that you can survive, mm-hmm. and that's all you can do. Right. And what are you gonna do about that? I mean, I saw a quote that reminds me a little bit um, that I'm human even as much as people um, at MIT especially would like to think that they're not, um, that they can be a robot and do everything. But the quote is that you can do everything right and still fail. Yes. And you should actually be okay with that. As long as you try your best, if you accept that things are going to not necessarily go your way all the time, like, it gets a lot better. It gets a lot easier to deal with things. It it is... A possibility that should always remain real to you. And you should always sort of have a plan B. Even if it is a plan B that you, like, would not particularly relish doing, at least it is there. At least you have an awareness of it. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing that is worse than having to do something you really don't want to do is getting blindsided by having to do that something that you don't really want to do. That's exactly why you need to get back on the horse. Because that horse is what's going to be what takes you somewhere. And if you don't get on it, then you're just going to stay where you are. And... That's not fun. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a pretty amazing horse. You should stay on it. Yeah, you should really. Tastes just like raisins. All right. You should also ride that horse all the way across Hyrule Field and jump over, jump over the, uh, jump over the gate. I, I think, I think that we've, uh, <laughs> we've established that this is. I'm too. Speaking of right balance, <laughs> I, I think we've reached the limit, Stan. I think it's time. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm Everett. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm not Link. I'm Stan. <laughs> I hope you actually weren't about to say that you were Link. I was about to say that. Oh, God. <laughs> this, <laughs> okay. this is six-fifths. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week.